It just sounds like a wave, like something new's happening. Uh, something new is happening, and that's kind of what we're, well, we're not just hoping it. Um, there's, there's nothing, there's much that's not the same as it used to be. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read a portion of scripture from the end of the book of Luke. And many of you know that Luke and Acts are kind of two parts of, of one book um, in much biblical understanding. And we're going to be looking at the book of Acts through the fall uh, towards Advent and then maybe pick up part two sometime in 2023. Um, and it's a great book to, to look at when some things have come to an end and we don't quite know what's starting. Because as much as you might feel that now, I'm pretty confident in saying that people that we're speaking about in the context of the book of Acts felt that more than you do now. And so there's lots we can see and hear. And of course, our desire is to hear from the Holy Spirit. So this is from the 24th chapter of Luke, starting at verse 44, and I'm just reading five verses. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, some followers, as he is about to leave them, at least as, they, as he has been with them. And he's even with them now in, of course, a different form, post-resurrection. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. The great way to start. Here's what I said when I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Acts, the book of Acts, I've never really liked the book of Acts. I'll tell you why later. I do like it now. So there's been some reform there. Uh, but it's recent. Most of the, the whole time I was a pastor, I didn't like it. Acts presents an interruption. This book that we will be considering this fall is a major change in the state of the way things are for the people whose lives we'll be talking about. In fact, there's so much change in what they experience that it's connected to you sitting here in this little theater at K-Meek. You would never be able to be here where you are without the world changing for these people back then. And they would never have imagined that you would be included in their story. Uh, I would say if you have ears to hear, would you hear? It's time for the church to open up again. They never would have imagined that you would be included in their story. In fact, many of them would have said, you don't deserve to be included in their story. The metaphor and the illustration for our time this past week is so obvious that it's almost cliche. Queen Elizabeth II reigned for 70 years, and then her time as monarch came to an end. And this photo is my favorite photo of her. Did you see this one this week? That's her, third from the left, in the kind of chair that you remember from your parents' or grandparents' place. 
This is at a farm, I think in Manitoba. And the queen visited with her son Charles and I guess an entourage, she is the queen, in 1970. As you see the headlines of all the remembering and the 10 days of mourning before the funeral, uh, I've seen multiple of those that have included the question, what is next? And of course, locally, they're asking what is next for England? What is next for the monarchy? But over the world right now and over your life, you hold that question, what is next? Some people, not all, are feeling it, even in a place like this, for a church like Cal. What's next? Acts presents an interruption. One time has come to an end, quite abruptly, and the stories that have been told have been interrupted, and now there will be new stories, but they haven't been told yet. And as you look around here, this is the first time I've ever been in this space. I've been in the large theater upstairs a number of times. That might be true for many of you. You look around here, this for most of us is not a familiar place. And your work has maybe changed. And other aspects of your life, they've changed. So in times like these, there is a pull. Many people feel a pull and many people feel a push. First, people can feel a pull to go back. Some, and I say this pastorally, though I would want to differ with you, okay? Uh, one of the best things sometimes that pastors can do is disagree and say, I can see you feeling that, I can sense you feeling that, and I'm not judging you for it in any way, but I'm not saying, you know, that's how things are going to go. There is for some people a pull to go back, and some feel this strongly, and most of us feel it even those of us who are you know, focused on the future feel this looking to the past at times because we can have a false comfort about the past. When I remember, you know, when my boys were little, they're 25 and 23 now, basically. But I can, you can kind of do that idealization of the past, right? Oh, if only they were little again. I don't, I don't, I'm actually don't tend to that. But even me who doesn't tend to that, I think, wait a minute, I remember what I felt on some of those days, those Saturdays and those Sundays. <laughs> Nostalgia, I'm stealing this from somebody else, but nostalgia is an act of forgetting, not remembering. If you just get one thing, hold that. Because when you're nostalgic, you're actually mostly forgetting. You're not mostly remembering. But I understand it. There could be a pull to go back. I liked it when dot, dot, dot. People in Acts and us today, we're not going back. There's a second thing, though, and that's a push to rush headlong into the future. These things can be related, and you can flip from one to the other fairly quickly, where you say, okay, we're not going back, so then I need some clear definitions as to what it's going to be from now on. Just tell me what I can expect. Well, if you look at the book of Acts, if people did that, they were disappointed. People can say, we're done with this uncertainty. Or people can say, we're done with the past. Even around Queen Elizabeth II, you've heard these voices, right? And there's a validity to them. We need to be done with that time that was marked so much by colonialism and just kind of oppression of others. 
empire. That's part of wanting to rush to the future. But then when we try to too quickly define what it's going to be, of course, we get into all kinds of difficulty. So I want to offer you in this space just a couple of points. They're expressions of faith. They're not definitions of theological understanding. These are theological concepts that will be up. Um, but when you're a church and when you're part of the church, the body of Christ, you don't understand these terms primarily theologically. You live them as longing. And if they're true, they'll be proven to be true. So the first thing as a faith expression to know in times of change and uncertainty, the first thing is that God is sovereign. I just want to hold that there. Because I could now, I wouldn't be as good as some people in this room, they do a better job, but I could define sovereignty, what scripture means that God is sovereign, what does that mean in relation to time, right, to linear time, what does that mean in relation to free will and such, those things, right? That's theological talk. But as a church, what we want to know, and as an individual, and as a family, what you guys want to know is that sovereignty as longing and prayer. Dear God, Show me your sovereignty. You are sovereign now in my life, in this place, at this time. It's as much question as declaration. And you don't have to worry about getting the understanding of it right. It's realized in its longing. And secondly, these are the words spoken at the end of the book of Luke. And then at the beginning of the book of Acts, in a different scene, Jesus Christ promises his presence. God is sovereign is kind of big picture, right? But the presence of Jesus Christ becomes personal. But listen to what he said. He said, these are the things that I told you while I was still with you. What kind of, what kind of language is, is that? Well, first of all, he's with them as post-resurrection, which is a strange kind of presence. And secondly, he's about to leave as they've understood his presence. Jesus Christ promises his presence. And for the people then and for us now, we're not quite sure what that means. But again, in faith, we can move towards there. I believe that Jesus Christ is present in this place and in my life and in my prayer, and in my relationships, and in my call, and in my hope, I believe that he's present for every person in the world, not just me, and not just you, and not just people who believe what we believe. The presence of Jesus Christ was going to break down barriers like you've never, ever seen before. And people in the book of Acts, many couldn't take it. His presence was not just gonna be an assurance for the people who missed him, and wanted to go back, his presence was going to break down barriers so that we could see what it means that Jesus Christ is with all. So Acts, this introduction, and I would trust the Holy Spirit to speak parallels into your life, how you would hear. But there are two things in the book of Acts, as Kim and I um, unpack this book a bit for you from some of our reading and studying um, in our prayers for you. There are two things that kind of set reality. So I'll give you an example. Does COVID still set reality for us right now? In a way, but for a time it was like everything. 
right? So there are two things that dominate the landscape, the social, philosophical, religious landscape. The first is this word scattered. The people are scattered. They are apart. The places and the gatherings that had become familiar to them are splintered apart and there is a fragmentation and things are not coming together as they once came together. Do I have to draw the parallels? There's a word for this that comes up again and again in study of the book and that is diaspora. It means that people are splintered apart. There's kind of an exile. Not quite as big as exile, but something like it. So listen to your world around you and to your life. Where is diaspora? We have ERs closing across our country because scores and scores of nurses, and I understand that I'm a chaplain at the hospital. I go in and I can't believe it sometimes. The pressure, the work. My sister lives in Perth, Ontario, and they closed the ER for a few weeks this summer, more than a few weeks. They said it was because of a COVID outbreak. But then one of the ER doctors, the main ER doctors went on the news, CTV, CBC, and he said what actually happened. He said before COVID, we had 15 nurses working in the ER. He said after, or at this time, we had five. Two of them came down with COVID and the administration released a statement saying the, the ER is closed because of a COVID outbreak. So many things we were used to are fragmenting. Some of you can't find a doctor. Some of you like me are thinking my doctor's gonna retire soon, what then? And then you just add into the mix, churches. There's a similar phenomenon, it's now got a name in the United States, it's called the great pastoral resignation. Because like nurses, pastors are quitting in droves. It was hard enough before COVID. And then your lives, your office or your work, your family, your friendships. Friendships have changed during COVID, facing that hard truth that sometimes friendships do change. There's a word for the social and religious fragmentation and it's diaspora, the scattering. But the second reality, and in a way it's bigger, but sometimes it, we don't, we're not always aware of it. The second reality for the people in the book of Acts is empire. I would put that in block letters, like capital E, capital M, right? And so those of you who are into, you know, the biggest movie franchise in our history, there's places where the word empire comes up. But they weren't thinking about, you know, Luke and Star Wars yet back then. Uh, they were thinking of Rome. The empire meant Rome and Rome affected everything and reached everywhere. Political norms and life, social norms and life, religious rules. Even your individual life was impacted by Rome. It was the ever present empire. And the stories of Acts take place in that context. So what's empire today? USA? in some ways, but we live in a time where that's a fading empire, which brings up all other kinds of issues. Is it government, the federal government? There are people who think the empire is the federal government, or is it media and entertainment, the academy, like education? Maybe I think this one might be the biggest, it's the market and money. 
and how we define success in earthly terms. There are various ways to define empire, but what's always present is that there's a social order. So for them, Rome did not share their religious convictions and the sensibilities of the community as the community scattered and tried to meet. They did not feel supported by Rome. In fact, sometimes they felt opposed by Rome. It's why so, so many Christians are so eager to claim the term persecution. And there are many parts in the world where people of religious faith, Christian and otherwise, are persecuted. Um, it's not happening here, really. We didn't, you know, we didn't have to hide this morning. <laughs> but the empire around us does not, necess not, not necessarily share our religious convictions and sensibilities. Even as the empire, this is different for, for them, even as the empire we live in today comes largely out of some of our religious convictions and sensibilities, concepts like human rights and such. So the empire would rear up again and again, and you're gonna see it through the stories of Acts, and those of you who know the story can always already anticipate some of this. The prison, punishment, restrictions, the ground in which, and this is the positive statement though, and my hope for you and me now, empire actually became the ground in which the faith grew and in which a people was formed. It was in that context of empire. So this is the reality dominated by being scattered and by this notion of empire. So I want to look at what briefly just mentioned. It'll be one word again. Where's the energy then? Where did their energy come from? Because it seems to me, with great respect, <laughs> that some of you, I'll say it this way, some of us, seem to lack energy. So where, because they faced as many challenges as we did, as we do now. So where did their energy come from? Well, as we open up this book, we'll realize, I think, I'll make the argument that it came from one word, and it was that they began to understand that they were summoned. A people summoned by the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God is doing something in and through the lives of particular people. That's why names keep coming up in this book again and again, in a particular place and time in history. And for us, the question is simply now also. I don't think they felt more energy than you do now to start but they were summoned. They began to hear the call of God in their lives. If you are not summoned, and this is the great temptation in religious circles, if you're not summoned, you'll just make it up on your own. Here's what we're gonna do from now on for a cap. 10 things, five things, you know, whatever it is. But if you don't hear the call of God in that, and sometimes people want us to make it up because it's easier to package. If you're not summoned in your life, what you'll do is you'll identify so much with a subculture. So for them, these people, it was to run to those places of diaspora, the scattered places, where you could define yourself against the empire, right? 
So in failing to hear the voice of God or not hearing the voice of God, it's not always a moral failure. Sometimes people just can't. But then they find the place where they're safe and secure. And in those places, you'll see it in Acts, there's all kinds of trouble and conflict within the scattered communities. They don't need the empire to fight. They fight one another. And you see this in every story like this since. Or if you're not summoned, then one of the challenges or one of the temptations is to rush to empire. I will become successful in the eyes of the empire and find my security there. So as I told you, I never liked the book of Acts until Willie James Jennings, he's at Yale Divinity School now, used to be at Duke, and he was at Vancouver School of Theology a few years ago. And uh, I took a course with him on the book of Acts. He'd written a commentary, and I love the commentary. It's amazing. He's black in the United States, and he speaks a lot, obviously, from that particular context. And he opened up the book of Acts for me and the others. Well, he identified, I mean, he wasn't doing this directly, but he identified why I never liked it. The Sunday school flannel board stuff, you know? The story of a heroic man. Here's Paul's missionary journey, number two. And it just feels like more colonialism. And then Paul went here and here and here, and there was a storm, and he survived the storm, and it's just this like heroic man. Well, I heard it differently in the telling of Dr. Jennings that we're not sent then or now to dominate or control or subjugate or win, we're summoned. We're called on behalf of the world for a time like this. Do you know that? Do you know that the world needs your faith? Or are you trying to get them to think like you think? Even now, in a time like right now, a better question than, is, than what is next is are you summoned and will you hear this call? I sometimes think what do you want me to do for you? Or what do you want Kim to do for you? I have this in my notes, so I'll say it. It's terrible. Do you want us to make church great again? I can just take out one word. Just take out the again and we're all safer. Do you want to have a thing that you can evaluate the sermon and the stuff and that we can say, oh, it feels good again? Or do you want us to do this other thing? I think we can do this other thing. I don't, I, I'm not interested in the first one, by the way, so. I think I can help with this other thing, though. I say this humbly. I think I can help you hear the summons. And then I don't know where we're going. But if we can hear, it's okay. Jennings says this. This is the kind of language in his commentary. This is how he speaks. It sounds, there's a lot to this, jarring. The Holy Spirit will soon spread the body of Jesus over space and time, opening his life as a new home to many, to others, to people we never would have imagined would be part of this. This is a story about joining something is going to happen in these people's lives that is beyond anything they ever could have imagined. 
and then you're here. But there is a tendency now in Christian circles, and most of you, if you don't feel it yourselves, you might have family members who feel it. So it's not to get angry at them and the rest, but it's to understand it. There's a tendency now to confuse call and summons with purity, as if our Christian devotion is to kind of remain the same. Gotta get into these lines. The world is so terrible. Look at all those problems out there. What if the people in the book of Acts had have done that? Well, they couldn't. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. Every time people felt that, the Holy Spirit just burst, burst past that barrier. But there can be a desire to remain apart. Acts is a story about how we are called to join. So three things, little tips. Posture. There's not, there's not application in this. It's not like, go and do these things, but it's a posture. Firstly, be open. You could be grateful for the past, but you don't need to cling to it. I'm grateful for the past, even my religious past. But as I pray and as I seek God's direction and as I feel I hear that being summoned by God, nothing in me, nothing says you should get back there. Be open. Be grateful for the past, but open to living a time that is in between. Whatever happens in the next 5 and 10 and 20 years in our lives, in our lives of faith, I'm convinced about this. Maybe it's because I'm older now, so it's easier to admit these kinds of things. But whatever happens, we will be handing over to that next generation. We don't have to figure it all out now. But we have to be open and start. It's a gift in a way to live in a time like this, a time in between. It used to be this, and we don't know what's next. But we're right here. Many people never get to live their lives in those spaces. What we owe to the people who've come before us, and this might be freeing for some of you, if you have those influences that are trying to you know, push you or pull you back to the past, what we owe to the people who've gone before us is we can have a gratitude for how they've shaped and helped us, but we do not owe to them that we stay fixed in the place where they were. Most of them didn't. So be open. Secondly, hear, listen. Not can I get back to what we had? Not that you hear that. Not how can I feel secure and familiar, familiar, though you'll be tempted to that at times, because sometimes when things are changing, you're just overwhelmed. But instead, how can I hear? How am I summoned? Sometimes, be careful with this, and don't think, you know, I'm going to tell so-and-so just what they need. But sometimes, by God's grace, you can hear the summons for other people's lives. This is done with great gentleness and compassion. But if you're truly present for another person, whatever their age, wherever they're at, you can listen to the Holy Spirit for their life. And you might be able, with a gentle word, to help them see and hear some of this. So hear, if you can. And of course, you hear the pastoral message in there too. Sometimes you're not able to hear. It's not, you know, you've sinned or something. Sometimes you just can't hear. So trust the people who can. And finally, the words I have for this next one, like be open and hear, there's not really a, an action here or a verb, but it's all I have. Uh, one another. 
A time like this in our world, in our faith, I think, doesn't, you don't have to agree with me, we'll see where we go, but I think that our faith more and more will be defined not against the other, not I believe this as opposed to what you believe, right? Not divided from, but moving towards. I know even in my Christian faith, that has not primarily been the definition of faith. It's been, we're the believers, those are the unbelievers. And we try to soften that language now. But I think, and I don't know what it's going to look like, I can't tell you, but I have a sense, right? And many people do, I'm not alone in this, that in our faith, if we're open, our faith will be more and more defined by moving towards other people, not away from them. Not just to get them to think like we think, but to understand that Jesus Christ's presence Jesus Christ himself is present in the moving towards. That's what incarnation is, right? So one another. A trust that the redemption of Jesus Christ is over all the cosmos, not just your life. That this is not a failed experiment. It's time, I think, for a Christian faith that breaks the bounds that have constrained many of the ways that we've thought. And I'm tired of apologizing to people who say, well, that's not quite Christian. We don't need to apologize. (laughs) We don't need to be angry or oppose. I'm telling you that the book of Acts, how this faith broke barriers, was way beyond what you might be afraid of right now. They couldn't have imagined it. It was offensive to some of them, including the leaders. So some will be offended. There are, in Christian faith, uh, self-appointed guardians of the faith. They were in Acts 2. And many of them were well-motivated. But many of us are longing for a church where the good news is good news for everyone, not just us. James K. Smith, a few quotes to end. Um, I was blessed to interview Jamie Smith about a book that I think it's out like next week or something but uh, got to read it and interview him and it was just beautiful he's the editor of Image Journal and a professor at uh, Calvin College and he has a book on what it means to live in time speaking particularly from his Christian faith he says for a lot of religious people faith amounts to a leap into a nostalgic past or an escapist future but the present bedevils them awkward and unsettled they stumble and waver They know how to be faithful anywhere, anytime, but now. I want to invite you to live your faith now. In these times of immense change and uncertainty. And my prayer would simply be for you now, for me. Come, Holy Spirit. Hebrew word, hebel. In Ecclesiastes, it's translated as meaningless. And that does convey some of the definition of the word, but it's not only that, because meaningless has a negative sense to it, obviously, right? The word is also translated with metaphors like mist or vapor, something that's here and gone, but not just negative. It's not to despair. You can live in the midst of even being simply a vapor. It's not just chasing the wind, as some of those translations give, but a more awkward shepherding the wind. So you can accept that your life is just a wind, just a vapor, just a mist. But in the meantime, 
It's full of meaning and blessing. Finding meaning in a time that we know will pass. If that is happening and we can live now and help serve and minister and follow as then the acts of the Holy Spirit, well, then we can have hope. And this is, by the way, in the book of Acts, a little interpretive key. The Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are interchangeable. This is the work of Jesus Christ in the world. The book of Acts, well, I was reading another commentary on this this week by Will Williman. And he, in his introduction, um, asked the question that many commentators do. The people are in a place basically where they're saying, is there a word, right? Like, can we hear from God? And Williman answers his own question. He always does that, but he answers his own question. And uses a word that you can carry with you from here. It's a beautiful word. He says, God is very loquacious. He's talkative. <laughs> if you're listening, this is a faith statement. But if you're listening, you're likely to hear. Because he's a God who speaks and reveals. And is open. The book of Acts opens with these people saying, is there a word? And God proves to be loquacious. Two brief Jennings quotes to end. The Holy Spirit wants for us to enter the journey of newness. These people will find things entirely new. And then we are always drawn by God to our future. So it's a good way to start. There's wonderful stories in that. It's been redeemed for me. I like the book now a lot. But I, we, I don't think, unless Kim's planning on it, I don't think we'll have flannel graphs, if that's okay. Um, and now we have a great way to start. Because when you're at a time of uncertainty, as I said, sometimes when you push to quickly define what's next, you're like, how do you apply this? What do I do? What are we going to do? What are we going to look like? Um, you can be given tasks or postures that aren't as structured as that, but they give you a place to start. And Kim has started to outline some of those for us in uh, as as summer turns to fall here, and it's going to fill that in a little bit for you now. So, Kim, yep. okay. it's presence with a loved one at the end of the day, or presence with God, but presence that be open. An invitation that Todd also expressed to you: who who might you commit to being present with this year? Presence, compassion. This practice I want to invite you into is an unlikely friendship, which is kind of the one another one that Todd talked about. Can you cultivate an unlikely friendship this year? Just reaching out to someone entirely unlike you, someone that you don't have very much in common with, but somehow God has brought you two together or come across someone's path. Unlikely friendship, which allows us actually to have compassion for another person. We can understand more the standpoint of someone different from us and enter in with compassion. So presence, compassion, and then generosity is the last one. This stance of, a, of open hands. Generosity means that we receive God's goodness, we receive God's generosity, or the generosity of another person, which is humbling and sacred. But also we offer ourselves, we offer something of ourselves to someone else. Who might you be generous with this year? How might you be generous? Or who's 
generosity might you be invited into receiving? And maybe you're going to pick one practice for a few months and then adopt another one. Maybe you'll try all three. Maybe you'll just kind of have those values like on the bookmark that you have and, and maybe you'll just pick one a day or one a week. We're going to explore those together all year long. So um, no pressure to get it all right the first time. Um, and as a way of, your, of being reminded that we have some things to do in this time of waiting, in this time of new beginnings, as a reminder um, even that you've committed to doing this, um, I want to invite you, when Andrew begins the worship, um, at in any time in that worship time, to come and to take one of these little candles. It's yours. Come and take one and allow it to remind you that you belong with us. And allow it to remind you that you want to be present to God that you want to receive God's compassion, that you want to live out his generosity, all those things we've just talked about. This is a bit of a, uh, a commitment to belonging and to being, to being connected and formed. And we'll have these available for you next week as well, so if you're not quite ready to make that commitment to be a capper this year in these ways, they'll be here for you next week as well.